Welcome to Central Study Hour here at Sacramento Central Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're so happy that you've tuned in with us today. And my extended welcome goes to those who are sitting in the sanctuary with us. Happy Sabbath. It's good to see everyone here. Well, let's begin our song service today. We have a very special song that came in from Joseph Cruz from Barragada, Guam. And the song is number... 116. And I just have to say, this is a lovely little song, and it might be perhaps one of the oldest hymns that the congregation still sing today. It was written, written uh, back in the fifth century, and it's actually a Christmas carol. So let's sing this together, uh, verses 1 and 2. for sending that in. And our next song is by is number 338, Redeemed. And this song comes to us from Deborah Boychuk in Sacramento, California. Thanks so much, Deborah, for sending that in. And this is a lovely tune, and we'll be singing verses 1, 2, and 3. Thank you. 
forever I am. That is a beautiful thing that God has adopted us all and, and he will bring us to his kingdom. If you have a special request, visit our web, website at sackcentral.org and click on the contact us link and tell us who you are, where you're from, and don't forget to tell us the title of your hymn and we'll be happy to sing the song with you. Now, as we come to our last song in the topical index on humility, we'll be singing Not I, But Christ, and that's hymn number 570. each of our prayer that not I but Christ be seen in me let's pray our father in heaven we thank you for what a beautiful Sabbath you've given to us and the chance that we can come together to worship you in spirit and in truth and we ask dear Lord as the word of life is opened today in our study that you will help us to have discernment send your Holy Spirit to impress our thoughts and our heart and that truly when we leave and go through the next week, that only people will see Christ and not us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today our lesson story, study will be brought to us by Pastor Chris, the senior pastor here at Sac Central SDA Church. Well, thank you very much. And uh, good morning. Good to see you. And happy Sabbath to you. You all sounded uh, excellent, 
as usual, as you've been sing, as you were singing there, and uh, what a delight it is to to sing out of a hymn book and uh, these rich hymns that uh, are meaningful and point us to heavenward and give us even instruction in some of these hymns. It's good to see you and uh, trust you're ready and geared up to get into our lesson study again this morning. Uh, we want to uh, welcome those as well that are. Uh, joining us uh, live stream as well, and also those that are joining us uh, wherever you are joining us from. Uh, some of you are watching this via uh, 3ABN Proclaim, uh, our YouTube channel, or our website. Uh, just recently, First Light Broadcasting began carrying Central Study Hour, and they are broadcasting out of New Zealand. So all of those who are watching out there in New Zealand, uh, glad you're tuning in. And we want to let you know that we do have a free offer, and it's offer number 21513, and all you need to do, those that are here in North America, North America and uh, territories of North America, call into 916-457-6511, or email us at csh at Don't forget to... Uh, Tell us where you're, uh, where you're writing in from. Tell us how you're enjoying the programs. We'd love to, love to hear from you. Uh, we're getting into our last lesson in the book of Proverbs. It's been a good journey, hasn't it? It's uh, lesson number 13, women and wine. Women and wine. And someone chuckled, and I'm not sure why, but uh, anyway, we're going we're gonna to look at this here in some detail uh, this morning and do a little review of the lesson we've been studying throughout the week. Um, we've, we've learnt a lot, and really, uh, as we've studied the book of Proverbs, we've been learning uh, not just how to make better choices, but how to become more like Christ, because biblical wisdom is, is uh, biblical knowledge applied to the life. And biblical knowledge really comes from the heart of God, the mind of God, and as we receive the heart and mind of God, we're receiving His character, who He is. And so, uh, I trust that as we've, uh, as you've been studying, as we've each been studying, we've been drawn closer to Christ, maybe becoming a little bit more like Him in our daily walk with Him as well. Um, we're going to look at our memory text, it's Proverbs chapter 31, verses 3 and 4, and uh, we're going to be looking at these verses here when we get to Sunday's lesson, but let's read it together, Proverbs 31, verses 3 and 4, and it says, "'Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings.'" It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink. It's interesting that uh, when we get to the end of the book of Proverbs, the end of the book of Proverbs begins with, uh, uh, ends with advice from a mother. The beginning of the book of Proverbs begins with advice from who? The father. And uh, so here we are beginning the book, we began the book with advice from a father and now we're ending the book with advice from uh, a mother to her son. Uh, now, it, it, we're not sure exactly who Lemuel is. Uh, some have suggested it was actually another name for King Solomon, uh, but we can't be entirely sure. But whether it uh, is another name for King Solomon or not, the warning and the advice offered in, these, in this last division, this last chapter of Proverbs, is, off, is offered and is directed in two areas, uh, that would threaten a king, and those would be women and wine. Now, for a king to be an effective ruler, he must be absolutely careful of his influences, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, uh, he needs to keep his mind in pristine condition and, uh, and use his time well. So, while alcohol produces nothing but trouble, uh, having a good wife can be incredibly beneficial. 
The question here as we start out is, can we actually learn anything from counsel offered to a king? Uh, for after all, it's directed to a monarch, a ruler. Can we learn anything from the council? Well, from a practical perspective, uh, these are areas of concerns. These areas of concerns addressed in Proverbs chapter 31 are areas that affect all of us, uh, irrespective of whether we are rulers or not. And I would take it that none of us here are rulers. Um, but from a spiritual point of view, what are those individuals called who's, who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb in, in Revelation chapter 1 verse 6? What are they called? Do you remember? Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 talks about those that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and that Christ has made them to become kings and priests, kings and priests. So, in effect, if you have given your life to Jesus and you've made a surrender to Him and your life has been washed in the blood of the Lamb, guess what you are? Royalty. You are a son, you're a daughter of the Most High God. You are royalty. And if you are royalty, then the advice that we are going to look at here this morning is applicable to each one of us. Would you agree? Sure, no doubt about it. All right, so we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 3. We're going to just break it down just a little bit and then jump over to chapter uh, verse 4. So let's read chapter 31 verse 3 again. It says, Do not give your strength to women nor your ways to that which destroys kings. And that would probably be better translated to those who destroy king with a reference to women. And the women here referenced are not just any women. Uh, it's talking about strange women, women that uh, would seek to distract and hinder uh, royalty from doing the very things that they are called to do. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Well, we will, actually, Solomon. We think about King Solomon. He started out pretty well, didn't he? King Solomon began his, uh, his rulership very well. He prayed to God. God came to him in a dream and said, uh, what can I give you? And instead of asking for riches and wealth and fame and all of the other thing, uh, what did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. He said, you know, this is a great people. I don't know how to go in or come out. I need wisdom from above. And did God answer his prayer? Yeah. Solomon applied his life to the knowledge and study of wisdom to, uh, to make wise and best choices uh, to rule his kingdom. So he started out really well, there's no doubt about that, but as he became prosperous and uh, there was no kingdom, uh, there was no ruler after Solomon, no king after Solomon that lived, uh, that ruled Israel, uh, that was as prosperous and wealthy and famous as King Solomon. But as he became prosperous and as he uh, began to become well-known and his fame went abroad, he, uh, he multiplied his wives and uh, they were of a foreign origin. As a matter of fact, if you just keep your finger in Proverbs 31, go over to 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. We won't read all these verses, but let's take a quick look here. 1 Kings chapter 11 and, uh, and we'll look at verses 1 through 4 you'll see here that Solomon got himself into trouble. It says, but King Solomon loved, and this is, the but is what proceeds. Here things are going really well, he's prosperous, he's, uh, the kingdom's thriving and doing well, but King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. And according to verse, where are we, verse 2, uh, Solomon Solomon, these women turned Solomon's heart away from the worship of the true God. How many wives did he end up with? According to verse 3, he ended up with 700 wives. 
princesses and how many concubines? 300. 300. I, I, I'm speechless. That's a, lot of, that's a lot. That's a lot of wives. That's a thousand women in his life. And some men are rolling their eyes and saying, one is just enough. How did he do? Thousand. No, of, course, of course, we don't believe that. But uh, here the man got himself into, into some trouble, didn't he? And it wasn't just women from, from, from Israel. These were women who were from foreign nations. And they served and worshipped pagan gods. And they led his heart away from the worship of the true God. The Bible tells us that in, in, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, his heart drifted from the worship of the true God to serve these uh, pagan gods. But uh, anyway, the counsel that we receive here in Proverbs 31 verse 3 about uh, giving our strength and energy to women, uh, foreign women, is not just for men but also for women. The warning here is against immorality in, in essence, um, if we were to boil it down. We live in a very promiscuous age, there's no doubt about that. Infidelity is on the rise. You think about advertising. What sells advertising today? Sex. Sex sells advertising. You, you can't buy soap without there being explicit images on the screen uh, or just or wax for your car or just toilet paper. Um, the, the sex sells. This is the world we live in, whether implicit or explicit, it's there. Um, nothing's left to the imagination anymore. Not that we would let our minds wander, but, not, but it's just all very much exposed and out there. When we think about music, we think about TV, we think about movies, we think even about the internet, our senses are bombarded with images that should cause us to blush. Um, there's a push, and there has been a push for quite a long time, to normalize immoral behavior. Everything that we thought and that we believed to be wrong is now promoted as being okay, it's all right, and perhaps it's even right. Uh, after all, it said we are human and we just can't help ourselves, right? No. In Psalm 101 verse 3, David said these words, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And so I want to encourage us this morning to make a covenant with our eyes. Make a covenant with our eyes and with our God that we will not set anything wicked before our eyes. Even if we have to walk through the mall with our heads down like this, that we, that we would not set our eyes on anything wicked, anything that would cause our thoughts to just run wild and rampant. And if there's anyone that has an issue uh, with viewing images on the internet, and you know as well as I do, even on your email accounts, certain invitations are offered. Hot, if you have a Hotmail account, certain invitations are offered if you're single to just click right here. And, uh, and so there's always this pull and there's always this draw. And so maybe you want to change your email account. And if a person has an issue with pornography, they ought to just throw out their computer and turn off the internet is, is my advice. Uh, but here the covenant is that we ought to make is that we will set no wicked thing before our eyes. Now let's look at verse 4. It goes on, the council continues. Verse 4, it's not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine nor for princes intoxicating drink. Now, we live in a culture, of course, uh, where the use of alcoholic beverages is prevalent. It's not just socially acceptable to drink, it's actually nearly expected to You're expected to drink. And if you're not drinking, you're considered to be kind of one of the oddballs, as if uh, killing your brain cells is supposed to be the cool thing. 
Uh, but we live in a topsy-turvy world, there's no doubt about that. It's not just socially acceptable, but sometimes you're expected to drink beer companies. They pay massive bucks to promote their products by promoting the idea if you just take a, participate and partake of their product, your life's going to be adventurous and it's going to be fantastic and you'll have every good-looking girl on your, hanging off your arm. And this is what they do, they promote this stuff. A lot of time, effort and money are spent to convince drinkers that drinking is okay. Someone has for us Proverbs chapter 31, verses 5, 8, and 9. Okay, Mike's got that down here. Thank you. We're going to get to you. So, Proverbs 31, 5, 8, and 9. Um, you know, even scientific studies are released occasionally, and they speak, do they speak poorly of imbibing wine? No, in moderate amounts, if you drink wine, then uh, it's going to be what? Apparently, it's going to be good for your heart or something like that. But I, I ask the question why not get the same benefits from Welch's? And then you avoid killing brain cells and, uh, and risk the abuse that comes associated with social drinking and its deadly side effects. Just drink Welch's. You get the same benefits, amen? Uh, better, better benefits even because it's not fermented and, uh, and uh, not harmful. And ironically, the wine glass is often raised in a toast to long life and prosperity when in fact the very substance inside of that glass promotes the very opposite effects. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a look here. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 5, 8, and 9. Thanks, Mike. Okay, Proverbs 31, verse 5, 8, and 9. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Open your mouth for the speechless. In the cause of all who are appointed to die, open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Thank you very much. So the counsel to, for, to kings to refrain from drinking wine or strong drink is so that what? Their judgment won't be what? Perverted. Their judgment won't be perverted. They'd be able to execute just justice, you see. Uh, so the issue is alcohol causes poor judgment. Kings, rulers, politicians, CEOs of large companies all carry the responsibility of making clear-minded decisions and often these decisions are weighty. So they need clear minds. I'd like to suggest that perhaps it's not good to trust even a politician who drinks alcohol and that becomes inebriated from time to time. As a matter of fact, we have good counsel in the little book Temperance that would suggest that we ought not trust a politician who brings alcohol to his lips. Why? Because it perverts the judgment, you see. Some of the statistics, tests show that after drinking three bottles of beer, there's an average of 13% net memory loss. And then after taking only small quantities of alcohol, trained typists were tested and their errors increased by 40%. Only one ounce of alcohol increases the time required to make a decision by nearly 10%. It hinders muscular reaction by 17% and increases errors due to a lack of attention by 35%. We thank Paul Harvey for those statistics. So if alcohol causes the dulling of the sensibilities and impairs the judgment, should Christians have anything to do with alcohol at all? Uh, Leviticus chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, notice what it says here, and uh, this is on the heels of the, um, of the story of Nadab and Abihu and how they brought strange fire into the sanctuary. They didn't kindle the, the, uh, the fire from the fire that God had kindled, but they made up their own, and this advice was given... Uh, shortly thereafter. It says, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that ye may 
that ye may put difference between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean. So the priests were forbidden to drink wine or strong drink so that they would be able to do what? Discern, differentiate between that which was right and that which was wrong, to put a difference between that which is holy and that which is unholy, between that which is unclean and that which is clean. Now, this instruction was for the priests of that particular time, but what about God's people then and even now? Is the counsel appropriate still? First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we're reminded that we are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and we are called to give evidence of the fact that we have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. We are in darkness and we are deceived if we think that drinking even in moderation is, a, is acceptable to a Christian. God wants to call us out of participating in any such thing, you see. We need more than ever today, to be alert to the dangers and the deceptions the devil has prepared to simply destroy God's people today. We need our wits about us, don't we? Sure, surely, we need our wits about us. Think about uh, back there in the courts of Babylon, Daniel. Daniel and his three friends, and there were other Jews that were taken, young, young Jewish boys that were taken captive to Babylon. And it, it appears that only four of them decided that they were not going to defile themselves with the king's meat or the king's drink. Why? Why would they do that? Of course, there's several different reasons, but uh, one is they just traveled a lot, made a long journey. They weren't going to put something in their body that was not going to promote good health and restore them uh, because the the journey was long and they'd become haggard and and worn out and weary. Uh, The other reason is because God forbade the uh, participation and partaking of alcoholic beverages. They needed their wits about them. They were in Babylon. Uh, They were in a pagan nation and if they were going to give witness to the true God in their lives, they were not going to have anything to do with anything that would impair their judgment, you see. Um, On the cross, although an incredible amount of pain and an incredible amount of agony, Jesus declined the offer of fermented wine mingled with myrrh. Uh, If they did, ought not we? Sure. Sure. We need clear minds to resist temptation and we need clear minds to keep a strong faith in God, especially in the days of Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. In Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, it tells us she has a cup in her hand and what's in that cup? Wine. But this wine represents what? False teachings and doctrines. So in the day of Babylon the Great, we need our wits about us. We need to be able to differentiate between what is truth and what is error, what is right and what is wrong. More than ever, we need to be sure that we're ingesting those things that promote good health and not harm our sensibilities and our health, you see. All right, let's go over to Monday's lesson. That was Sunday's, by the way, and I didn't tell you that, but that was Sunday's, a toast to life. Let's look at a toast to death. We're going to continue our our discussion here with regard to alcohol. Someone's got Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29 and 30. All right, thank you very much, Walter. Appreciate that. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29 and 30. We're going to look at uh, Proverbs 31, verses 6 and 7 first. So here it is. Uh, It says, Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. Now, as is suggested in the lesson, giving alcohol to a depressed person would be like someone giving salt to someone who's dehydrated. This doesn't seem like good counsel at all. We need to, I think we need to recognize here that she's not advising or recommending alcohol to these particular indi- individuals. I think perhaps that she's writing with a degree of irony. 
with a degree of irony, not with an uncaring spirit, with a de- but with a degree of irony. In other words, perhaps she's saying, if anyone is permitted to drink strong drink, let it be the person who's given up on life and who's on their way out. They've got one foot in the grave. Not that she's encouraging it, but that uh, in uh, the irony of life, that perhaps these individuals would be the ones who would participate. But don't those who have hope and those who are living, don't you participate in it at all? Um, Alcohol is not good for anyone. And we realize and we know that she's not promoting the drinking of alcohol, even for those that are depressed and those that are perishing, ready to die. Because in the preceding verses, she said, don't have anything to do with it. Don't have anything to do with it. Uh, Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29 and 30. Thanks, Walter. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, and they that go to seek mixed wine. Hmm. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, Some of you uh, may have had association with uh, drinking alcoholic beverages before, and you know and uh, and understand what uh, the wise man is saying. And then, of course, you've got the story that we're all familiar with there in Exodus chapter 32, where the children of God, uh, Moses was up there receiving the Ten Commandments instruction from God for 40 days, at 40 nights, and down there, there was a sound of war. At least that's what Joshua thought, there was a sound of war, there was a commotion. What was happening? Folk were drinking, they were drunk, got themselves naked, they were partying down there. Ammon, he was a son of David, he was also a drinker, and he raped his half-sister, Tamar. And because of this incestuous act, he lost his life at the hands of his enraged brother while he was intoxicated. Nothing good happens to anybody who's imbibing and associated with alcohol. I think we we see that very clearly. The biblical examples speak loudly to us about having nothing to do with alcohol. Um, there, there was a question, I think, Mike, you had a question, and we'll, uh, we'll get to that in just a moment, um, related to some problem texts in the Bible related to, uh, related to wine or drinking. Um, I want to say this, though. Thank God that there is victory in Jesus. If anyone has a problem drinking, if anyone is, a, is, is, is damaging their minds, their brains with, with alcohol, there is, there is freedom and liberty and power in Jesus Christ. We need to remember here today that Jesus Christ is more powerful than Jack Daniels. We need to recognize today that the blood of the Son of God is more powerful than Budweiser. We can know that here today. Jesus is powerful and mighty to save. No one need be trapped or feel like they can't break free. Jesus can save. Uh, Mike, you had a question related to, uh, to this issue of alcohol. Yeah, the question is, what about where Jesus turned water into wine, where Paul counseled Timothy to have a little wine for his stomach's sake, and Paul's advice to the deacons to not be given too much wine? Okay, that's loaded. Okay. Um, There are a couple of things we need to remember. In the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, there are two words that are used for the word wine. And I think, let me just back up a second. One of the problems we have when we read in the Bible the word wine is naturally in our culture, in our time, we immediately associate it with what? An alcoholic beverage. It's very natural. But the, when the translators took the original word and, and put it into English, they used the word wine. But it doesn't always mean an alcoholic beverage. Uh, in the Old Testament, two Hebrew words are used, and technically, in most cases, uh, typically in most cases, the, uh, the, the context tells us uh, pretty much that it is a, 
alcohol, alcoholic beverage or it's the grape, the new wine, the grape of the vine. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 8, the new wine is that which comes off of, directly off of the vine, you see. Something that's fresh and that's pressed and it's uh, refreshing and good for you. Um, but when you get to the New Testament, we, get a little bit, we have a bit of a problem. There's only one word that's translated into the word wine, and that's oinus. Oinus um, is, the, is a word, and, you, and we cannot know whether it is fermented or unfermented wine that's being spoken of, except for the context. The context uh, pretty much tells us uh, whether it was fermented or not. So, John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. How many, uh, how many uh, uh, gallons, or at least how many jars did he fill up? Do you remember? Six or seven, was it? They could have carried about 20 to 30 gallons each. So, that would have been how much... 20 to 30 gallons, 680, 180 to 200 gallons of alcoholic beverage that he provided for a, for a wedding party. Do you see Jesus doing that? No, don't think that's, uh, that's, that's right. As a matter of fact, folk praised him, for, for the, the, the host, for saving the best till last. And so there's, uh, there's no question that Jesus, uh, Jesus produced there, worked a miracle to turn water into the new wine, the grape of the, of the vine, you see, uh, we could say Welch's today, fresh grape juice, you see. Um, the other uh, question is related to Paul uh, giving Timothy counsel regarding having a little wine for his stomach's sake. Um, uh, let me just step back one more time. Is, any, is anyone under inspiration going to contradict anything else, anyone else under inspiration said regarding alcohol? We've read so far that alcohol causes nothing but grief and pain and we're admonished not to participate in it. So are other Bible writers under, under inspiration going to admonish or encourage anyone to participate in something that the Holy Spirit previously has said no to? No, not going to happen. Not going to happen. And so here, Paul is simply encouraging Timothy to have a little grape juice. Uh, it's uh, very likely that Timothy uh, was, just, on, was dressed, just drinking water like the Nazarites would. And uh, so Paul was saying, look, you've got a bit of a stomach issue, have a little grape of the vine, a little, uh, a little grape juice to help soothe that uh, stomach problem. Now, the, uh, the other question was related to the qualifications of a deacon that you read about in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 3 and verse 8. And that one has troubled a number of people because it seems as Paul is giving advice to deacons to not be given too much wine. In other words, you know, maybe just drink it in moderation. I think the only conclusion we can come to here is that Paul is admonishing, uh, uh, admonishing the deacons to uh, drink moderately the grape of the vine. Deacons were known to visit from home to home. They were to minister to, to believers and even to unbelievers. And so as to set a good example before the believers of temperance, temperance is using moderately that which is good and abstaining from that which is harmful, uh, exemplifying true temperance in their life so that... Uh, so that uh, they would give a good example of the Christian witness to those that they were visiting. I don't think we can suggest here today that uh, Paul is uh, recommending um, uh, a little uh, fermented grape juice uh, to the deacons. It's okay, brothers, you can have a little bit if you want. We, I don't think Paul uh, would suggest that at all. So I hope that helps answer the question. Um, bottom line, stay away from this stuff. Uh, encourage others to do the same help those who would be struggling, point them to Jesus who can provide victory and grace. Let's go to our next day's lesson on Tuesday and let's talk about a virtuous woman. So we're in Proverbs chapter 31 and uh, we're going to read verse 10 here. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 10. 
It says, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Now, by reading this in English, we typically wouldn't know, but this particular, the next 22 verses that follow, uh, Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10, and the next 22 verses form an acrostic or a poem uh, which is built around the Hebrew alphabet of 22 letters, um, something that's used often in the Psalms and also used, Jeremiah uses it in the Lamentations. Uh, so, for, in other words, verse 10 begins with the first letter of the alphabet, and then verse 11 moves on to use, using the second letter of the alphabet, and verse 12 begins with the third letter of the alphabet, and so on. It's an acrostic, it's a poem, it's kind of a neat, uh, neat way and form of, uh, of Hebrew writing and poetry. Now, while the, uh, while the following verses that we're going to be looking at here uh, describe the qualities of a virtuous woman or virtuous wife, there's good reason to believe that uh, the description here is also represents a, maybe a second application. It would represent uh, uh, wisdom. And as the author says, not as some lofty and achievable idea, but as a practical and approachable woman who could become our life companion. Uh, when we go back to Proverbs chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 3 and 4, uh, there are examples where Solomon talks about wisdom as a, being a woman. Wisdom is personified uh, as a noble, virtuous woman to stand in stark contrast to that other woman, foolishness, because in the book of Proverbs we're dealing here with being wise and being, no, 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 being wise and not being foolish, right? There's, those are the two, uh, the two things that uh, the wise man's dealing with. But here, here uh, wisdom is personified as a woman uh, to stand in stark, stark contrast to that other woman, foolishness, who seeks to trap and ruin a person's life. Uh, I want to compare Proverbs chapter 8 with Proverbs 31. Who has those verses, verses 30, Proverbs 8, 35, 11, 19, and the other? Who's got those verses for us? Right over here. So uh, what we're going to do, brother, is we're just going to do a little back and forward here. Uh, I'm going to read Proverbs 31, and then you're going to read that particular verse uh, that I'm going to mention in Proverbs chapter 8. Then I'm going to mention the one in Proverbs 31 again, and then you'll come back to Proverbs chapter 8. So just... Uh, Watch my cue. We're going to go back and forward a little bit, have a little fun here. But I want you to notice and compare Proverbs chapter 8 with the virtuous woman of Proverbs chapter 31 and see if we can't see a comparison. All right, I'm going to start with Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 10, and then you're going to read right after that Proverbs chapter 8 verse 35. Okay, so here we go. We're going to keep going back and forward. Proverbs 31 and verse 10, we just read it. It says, Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies? For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Okay, so both Proverbs 8 and Proverbs 31 talk about uh, wisdom being far worth far more than, uh, well, worth precious and worth finding out. And then in the next verses, it talks about wisdom uh, having more worth than rubies. I'll read that, Proverbs 31 and verse 10. For her worth is far above, we just read that, right? Rubies. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 11. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. Okay, excellent. Okay, the next one is Proverbs 31, verse 14. She, wisdom, provides food. Notice what it says here. It says, she is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. And you have Proverbs 8, verse 19. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold. 
and my revenue than choice silver. Awesome. Wisdom is also seen as being strong. Look at uh, verses 17 and 25 of chapter 31. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. And you have chapter 8, verse 14. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. There it is. And then two more. Wisdom, she is wise. Proverbs 31, verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom cry out, and understanding lift up her voice? And then lastly, she is praised. Look at verse uh, 28 of chapter 31. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And then you have uh, Proverbs 8, 34. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. Amen. Thank you very much for humoring me here this morning. So you see the, uh, the similarities between Proverbs chapter 8, which personifies wisdom as a woman, and also the virtues of, that we see in the woman of Proverbs chapter 31. So while truly we're, we're talking here about uh, advice and uh, the, the ideal godly wife, there is also reason to believe that uh, as a second application that we're talking here about wisdom. And embracing wisdom brings all these wonderful things, riches and strength and wisdom and, uh, and honor, you see. Now, some of you have read uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, we're, we're working through Pilgrim's Progress on Friday nights with our family. We're doing the not the old English version, but the modern English version, just to help us all out a little bit. And there's a fellow that uh, Pilgrim and Christian, uh, Faithful rather, run into, uh, Christian and Faithful run into, and his name is Talkative. Did any of you remember reading about Talkative? They run into Talkative. And Talkative, Talkative was far more concerned with facts than he was for substance. Uh, talkative was far more concerned with talk than he was about action. And what we discover when we learn about wisdom and what we have studied and what we've discovered in learning about wisdom through these last 13 weeks is that wisdom, as I mentioned earlier, is biblical knowledge applied. That's true wisdom. True wisdom uh, uh, isn't, isn't just knowing facts and knowing things. True wisdom is biblical knowledge applied. Knowing a lot of Bible truth doesn't equal righteousness. Knowing what is right does not equal righteousness. If I know it is good to go exercise and I do not exercise, does my knowing that I'm knowing about exercising being good for me make me healthy? <laughs> Especially not if I'm running. If I'm not running, it's not going to make me healthy at all, right? Um, and so just knowing the truth doesn't make a person righteous or even truthful. It needs to be applied to the life. Martin Luther King Jr. was said to have said, we have guided missiles and misguided men. We have a lot of knowledge and yet we don't, uh, we, we, we're, we've become an immoral and, and corrupt society. We know a lot of stuff, but it doesn't change, hasn't changed the heart. We need to take the words of wisdom that God has provided for us in the Scriptures and make those, make those applications and be earnest and serious about making those applications. Don't, uh, don't uh, be casual about uh, about what we're reading here, but to make that daily application by the grace of God of wisdom to our lives. Well, let's go over to Wednesday's lesson and uh, let's talk about 
this virtuous wife working. Uh, let's look at uh, Proverbs 31, verse 17. And someone has Proverbs 31, 12, 15, and 18. Okay, Diana, thank you very much. Right over here. Proverbs 31, verse 17. It says, She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She works. Um, the word w virtuous woman, virtuous wife, is literally a woman of power. It's literally a woman of power or a wife of valor. It's interesting, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the, he of the, uh, of the Hebrew, has it as a ma masculine woman, and, uh, meaning that simply she is strong and that she's vigorous and possesses excellent qualities. It's not like a half man, half woman. That's not the idea here at all. Uh, but a woman who is strong, she's vigorous and possesses excellent qualities. Um, and while this description of the virtuous wife presents an ideal for any woman to strive toward, uh, and yet, by the way, husbands, it's not an ideal that we need to keep hanging over our wives' heads. You know, you don't need to march into the kitchen and breakfast and put the Bible down. Proverbs 31, how come you're not doing all of the things that are said here? It's not an excuse for men to get on top of their wives and give them a hard time, you see, not at all. But while these particular, this description of the virtuous woman presents an ideal for any woman, uh, it also presents the qualities of a person, whether male or female, who possesses true wisdom. Um, like, unlike the sluggard mentioned in Proverbs chapter 6, the, the, the wise truly work, or the truly wise work. Why is this woman working? So Proverbs chapter 31, verses 12, 15, and 18. Thanks, Diana. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She also mm -hmm. rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. Mm. If I were a wife and I were reading Proverbs 31, I would be made to feel this about this big. Uh, the qualities listed here are, are incredible and only can be acquired by the grace of God. Um, but as I mentioned before, some of these qualities can be applied to both men and women. Um, what is, uh, why does she do her work? Why is she a working woman, according to these verses that Dinah just read? She works out of a sense of what? responsibility. She recognizes her responsibility. She has a sense of her responsibility um, and, and, and labors and works hard. And I, I ought to ask this question to husbands and to any young, well, I shouldn't say young, but any, anyone here who has a mother that's still living, how can we show ways to express our gratitude to our wives and to our women and to our mothers uh, in a way that lets them know that we truly appreciate all that they do? Um, what a... Uh, what a, what a privilege. I've got I to just say that, I, I gotta just say that uh, I'm so blessed to be married to Jennifer. I'm, I'm just going to tell you that. Um, she, has, she has a number of these wonderful qualities. It'd be no fun being married to a lazy woman, men. And for women, it's no fun being late, married to a lazy man, amen? Yeah, I, I heard I, amen. Yeah. <laughs> How many men and women today work hard to not have to work at all. A personnel manager rejected a job applicant because he said that the firm was overstaffed. 
But the would-be employee persisted and said, the little bit of work I would do wouldn't even be noticed. (laughs) God created us to what? Work. God created us to labor and work with our hands, you see. We find satisfaction. We find purpose. We find Uh, we just find our lives are that much more satisfying and productive when we're able to put our hands to doing something that is productive. God created us to work, you see. Living in the cycle of dependency is strictly debilitating to one's self-worth, ambitions, and dreams. To depend upon others for assistance when you can work and you can labor, uh, one ought to do so. Now, you know, some folk can't do much with their hands, depending on their age, or maybe they have a disability, but one can work with their their mind. You can work. A person can work and do what they can. There's no excuse not to do something to, uh, to better those around you or to better the society we live in the best we possibly can and just give our best. Not everyone can do the same thing. Not everyone is the same, but we can give our best. Uh, when we think about work, we think about God putting Adam and Eve in the garden. What was the very first, what was the very first thing he gave Adam to do? Tend the garden, to care for it. Now, it wasn't, he wasn't pulling weeds or, or cutting off thorns and, and, and all of those types of things because that came in after he fell, after Adam and Eve fell because of sin. Uh, it was probably more a delight and a joy to garden than it is today, but he was given something to do with his hands. Even the command to rest every Sabbath, is the, is the imp, in that command is the implication to what? Work. For in six days shall you work, you see. And then rest the seventh. Ezekiel calls in Ezekiel 46.1, he calls the other six days working days. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's a command to work six days a week, but uh, we should uh, be applying ourselves um, and working where and how we can. And so wisdom works. Wisdom engages and uh, does her best. And if we're applying wisdom to our lives, we will give our best and we will labor and work and not become dependent on others to do that if we can, if we can't help it. Let's go to Thursday's lesson as we wrap up our lesson for today and our lesson for uh, on, on the book of Proverbs. What other important qualities are seen in this woman? Let's look at verses 26 to 31. Proverbs chapter 31 verses 26 to 31. Notice what it says. She opens her mouth with wisdom and her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Why are these importance, Why are these important qualities for each of us, regardless of our gender? Why are these qualities important for each one of us? Verse 26 tells us that she, wisdom, is, wisdom doesn't have time to devote to gossip or to stick her nose in other people's business. She's busy keeping quiet order in the home and building up her children with kind words in a soothing tone. Verse 27 tells us that she's not looking for the easy way or the easy road. Neither does she devote precious hours to watching daytime dramas or embedding her mind in sensual novels. No, she doesn't do that. Verse 28 tells us she's making her home good and therefore she deserves sincere praise of her children and of her husband. If you want to water your wife's flower, if you want to make her bloom husbands, praise your wife 
and acknowledge the good things she does. Praise her. Verse 29 tells us she's not content with status quo. She strives towards excellence. Kind of reminds me of the uh, motto of of, of Lexus, the pursuit of what? Perfection. Shouldn't all of God's children be pursuing excellence, the pursuit of perfection? And then verse 30 tells us that, that she loves and fears the Lord. She's steady, that she's solid. She's not deceived by glamour. She's not deceived by glitter. She knows that true beauty resides within and not necessarily without. She works on her character. God's people work on, her, on their characters more than they worry about what others think of how they look. Now, that's not to say you should walk around in a, in a, uh, a gunny sack or, or, or look drab and, and, and look like you just stepped out of, the, out of bed. We need to look good and respectable and, and uh, represent Christ in our, the way we look for sure. But we're more concerned about this, the heart, the character, than anything else. And then verse 31 uh, tells us that we can't, because we can't read the heart, and, uh, and, and because we can't do that, the only sure way to measure the fruit or the quality of a person is the fruit of their life in the works that they, they perform. In the gates of the city, that's where the judgments are made concerning all those who live within the walls. The work of the virtuous woman speaks for herself. And in other words, verse 31 tells us she doesn't need an advocate because her works follow her, because of what she does. She will forever enjoy the sweet fruit of her unselfish toil and her good example. Um, that's the virtuous woman. Now, someone has Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7 as we close today, right here. Thank you very much. We're going to get to that, and we're going to wrap up here. A question for, for wives, for women, for, what, for mothers today is, what example are you leaving your children? For husbands and fathers today, what example are you giving your children? As all of God's children, as the church the bride of Christ, what example are we giving to others of the life that we live? Are we letting others know that God is good by the lives that we live? Are we uh, leaving a trail of good works behind us, um, giving people the opportunity to see what a, what a Christian is and maybe giving someone who might, might be their only opportunity to see or hear of Christ through your life and through mine? What type of example are we leaving? Okay. Revelations chapter 14, 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Amen. Notice what it says there. What is that message, the first part of that message? Fear God. Fear God. Now we have, after 13 weeks, a better understanding of what it means to fear God. For after all, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. That's exactly right. We've spent 13 weeks learning that to fear the Lord is to make practical application of the Word of God to our daily lives as we make wise and right choices. So the book of Proverbs has concluded and concludes with reminders about the importance of lifestyle choices that we make. There are no unimportant decisions and choices. And our true success in our walk with God comes from fearing the Lord. 
That's the message, the last day message going to the world. Fear God. Now we know what it means. Now we know that what true success in our Christian walk with the Lord looks like. And I want that experience to be mine each and every day. How about you? Amen. Amen. So glad that you joined, uh, joined us here today. And uh, those that are tuning in, glad you tuned in as well. Uh, don't forget to call in and receive the free offer. Ask for the CD or DVD version. The number and the email address are on the screen. Uh, feel free to let us know how you're enjoying the program. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, next week, we're actually going to be launching into our next study, and that's on the book of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke. So uh, we've got these uh, lessons on our website at saccentral.org, so you can go there and download those. Thank you for joining us, and uh, God bless you.